Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. My name is Jordan, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the staff pastors at Meadowbrook. And um, the way I kind of relate my relationship with Meadowbrook is kind of like Taylor Swift, because I've been on staff, off staff, like three different kinds of times. So I've uh, been on staff more than she goes to boyfriends. I'm kidding. Um, but in my, in my current capacity, I have the privilege of serving on the leadership team there. And specifically, I get to work with, um, we have a partnership with Southeastern University. Uh, where I serve as our executive director and offering over 16 different degrees, graduate degrees, undergrad degrees, and, and everything uh, in between. So uh, I've been married for 12 years uh, to my beautiful wife, uh, Carissa, um, who is uh, my rock, uh, who is in, in absolutely incredible. We have two kids, a uh, five-year-old named Ellie, who actually is joining us today, not here, because she'd probably find me boring, but um, she's with the, the kids' ministry, and then I also have a three-year-old named Olivia, who just turned three yesterday, and we had, as you can imagine, a mermaid birthday. Uh, you know, what else would you do with a three-year-old? Which, you know, you, you kind of expect that, right? Like, when you have all girls, you expect mermaids and Barbies, and the thing I wasn't expecting is how much feminine hate they would have towards all things sports. Like, if I put on Sunday afternoon, if I put on the Pro Bowl today, they will lose their minds. Because there's no princesses. But that's not true. There's Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> so needless to say, we watch a lot of princesses and, and mermaids. But, uh, and my wife and I are going to be celebrating 11 years of marriage in one month. So I'm pretty excited uh, about that. And, uh, marriage is absolutely incredible. A few months ago, I was, I was getting ready to preach. And I was sitting with Carissa. And I was like, you know, I've got these two kind of ideas in my mind what I want to preach on. Uh, one of them I know really well, I've kind of preached in this area before, and the other, I just, I feel really strongly about it, but I don't know how to do it in one week. It's not a one-week message, it's just too difficult, it's too hard. I don't know how you do that in like 30 minutes, and without missing a beat, she just looks at me and goes, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize God would want you to take the easy way out, <laughs> instead of the way that requires faith. And so I don't know about you, but I've learned that the sound of the Holy Spirit's voice is awfully similar to the sound of my wife's. <laughs> well, if you would, we're going to hang out in one passage this morning, Matthew chapter 4. Uh, we're going to look at a couple verses, so if you want to join me, Matthew 4, we're going to pick up in verses 20 and verse 23. Matthew chapter 4, picking up in verse 23, it says, And he, being Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming, the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pain, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics. He healed them, and great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Acropolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Now, this morning, I want to preach on the fame of Jesus. Will you join me as we pray? God, I thank you right now that wherever we gather, your presence is there. And that Holy Spirit, what we need this morning is not elegant words, or we don't need some kind of verbiage. What we need is the presence of your power to infiltrate our hearts. And what we need is more of Jesus. What we need is not a pep talk or a conversation. What we need is the power and presence of Jesus to flip through our hearts, 
our minds, and our lives. And so I ask this morning that you would do just that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You will get to a point in your life, and most of you already have, where you're going to walk through, or you have walked through some sort of valley, and you tried everything you could to figure it out on your own. That you've exasperated your resources. That you've tried everything you know to do. You've tried to pray every single prayer. You've been to church. You've done all that you know to do. And that you still find yourself in that valley. Now that valley can be a, a, a myriad of things. It can be a financial valley. It can be marriage. It can be with a kid. It can be with your own health. But you get to a certain place. And if you haven't experienced it, you will come to this. Where you find yourself in that valley going, I don't know what to do. I have tried everything. I have pursued everything. I've done all that I know I can do, and yet I still find myself there. And in that moment, what you need is the fame of Jesus. That in the moment that you're in the valley, that you've tried everything, and you don't know what to do, in that moment, what you need is the fame of Jesus. And so this morning, I want to preach on the glorious fame of Jesus. And so we come to this text, Matthew chapter 4, and what we find is that Jesus is going all throughout Galilee. That Jesus is going all throughout. Now, I want you to notice, he doesn't, he doesn't wait for them to come to him. He doesn't set up shop. He doesn't even build a church. He doesn't wait for them to to come to him. What is Jesus doing? He is going into all the regions looking for them. And I want to address a little misconception here because I think sometimes we think, we get this picture that Jesus is waiting for us to show up. That Jesus is just kind of as if he's sitting, twiddling his thumbs going, man, I really hope Jamie's here. I really hope Johnny comes. I really am hoping that Sarah gets this. That's not what Jesus does. He didn't do it then, and he doesn't do that now. Amen. He doesn't wait for you to hopefully show up. He's far greater, far bigger. What does it say he was doing? He's going into all the areas. That nowhere is left off. He's not going to miss it. Here's what I know. If you were to look back at your life, at some of those harder moments, those darker moments, where in the moment you felt like you were all alone, in retrospect, here's what you see. Oh, Jesus was there. I see Jesus there. I see the things. There may have been things he allowed, but there's a whole lot he didn't allow. Come on. There's a whole lot he did stop. There's a whole lot he puts at no. He was there. He's not waiting for you to show up because here's the kind of Jesus we serve. He chases after you. Even when you don't want it, he's still going to pursue you. He's still going to love you. He's still going like he was into all of the areas looking for his people. Then it says what he's doing. It says he's going into all the areas and he's teaching in their synagogues. And that's interesting because... When Jesus teaches, people show up. That, that when Jesus is teaching, we're told later on that he's on a hillside, and there's probably fifteen to 20,000 people sitting there in the heat, no food for hours and hours and hours, listening to somebody teach. Now, there's got to be something about what he is bringing that would make you Leave your job, follow him in the heat for hours and hours with 
no food. So, so what is it about Jesus? What is this teaching that is making all of these people follow, at the time, this obscure Nazareth prophet? What makes it different? And what makes it different is that Jesus wasn't bringing a bunch of rules. Rather, what Jesus was doing was he was presenting a new way of being. Now, for thousands of years, all they've gotten is a lot of rules, right? We know the story of our faith. Moses goes up on the mountain, and he comes back with the Ten Commandments. And what do we immediately do? We go, that's not enough. Let's keep adding on to that. And by the time we get to Jesus, we've got 613 different rules. And then those are categorized into higher rules and lower rules. And there's rules for pretty much everything. And so they're coming to Jesus, and here's what they feel. They feel weighed down. They feel burdened. And some of you may feel like that, because when you thought of the faith, you thought it meant do this and don't do that. And then I've got to pick up all these rules that I've got to somehow follow. And yet Jesus comes, and, and what does he do? He says that I've come to fulfill the law. That I've come to take the weight that you can't carry, I'm going to place that weight on my back. What drove people to Jesus was not that he gave new rules, it's that Jesus gave a new way of being. And what Jesus really did is Jesus didn't just give a new way of being, but he provided a pathway to deeper change. See, for a lot of us, the way we've changed throughout our lives is we've used willpower. We use willpower. Some of you in this room, myself included, we're really good at willpower. We're really good. Like, we can show up to church every Sunday and even be on time. Come on, somebody. <laughs> we can read our word every morning. We can maintain those U-version streaks. Yeah. We can pray. We can keep our sin to the Christian minimum not do anything that's too offensive. Like, a lot of us, we're really good at that. And you know how we did that? By willpower. That's right. We did that by willpower. But you know what happens when you get in a valley? When you get into a space in your marriage, in your parenting, in a job, in your health, what is beyond your control, suddenly willpower falls short. Suddenly the willpower that was good enough to get me to church and in the Word and have some kind of prayer life doesn't last. Because it's not what God intended. And so Jesus comes and says, I'm going to give you something better than willpower. I'm going to give you the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Because here's what the presence of the Holy Spirit can do. He doesn't need your willpower. Rather, what Jesus wants to do is not just change your thinking, he wants to change your desires. And what drove all these people here was they're going, I did it on willpower, it doesn't seem to be working. And let's be honest, it doesn't work. Now, willpower is great, it gets you up in the morning, makes your coffee, get your job, that's fine. But when we apply that to our faith, when we apply that to our growth, it's always going to fall short. And so Jesus steps in and says, I don't want to just change your thinking. I'm not going to give you more willpower. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to change the very core of your desire. This is why thousands and thousands flock to him, because there's something different that he's doing. And here's the incredible thing about when Jesus changes your desires. It can lead to growth in you beyond what you can imagine. Just think about the idea of love. Like for most of us, the way we approach love is as if love is a commodity. As if love is a resource like time, energy, money. And you know what? It's true. It is driven by willpower. Mm -hmm. Love is a commodity. If my love is driven by motives, 
If my love is driven by, if I do this and you do that, then you know what? You're right. That love is going to be very, very limited. But if my love is transformed by Jesus, if I can actually love like he loves, if my love is altruistic, if my love is what the Bible would call agape love, if I'm actually loving without motives, you know you find? The love never runs dry. Amen. You can keep loving and loving and loving and loving and loving, and you're not going to empty it out because the desire has changed. But the moment motives come back in, the moment I do this for something else, immediately we go back to trying to control things by willpower. And Jesus comes and he says, no, 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 I'm going to come after your very desires. I'm not going to change you at the surface, but down to the very root. And then the text tells us something else. It says not only is he teaching, but it says that he's going and proclaiming the kingdom of God. Now I want you to kind of go back with me to a very uh, famous story in Jesus' life. One of the most famous stories is when Jesus is baptized. And it's a pretty beautiful story, right? Jesus shows up, John the Baptist, his cousin, and John looks at him, and he can already see, like, Jesus is starting to take off his sandals, get into his bathing suit, and he's going, no, 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 Jesus, Jesus, you should baptize me, right? And then there's this beautiful moment, I'm not worthy to untie your sandals, and Jesus pretty much goes, no, this is the way it's going to be done. And there's that really just incredible moment, right? Jesus is baptized, and as he comes out of the water, the heavens open, the Father speaks, the Holy Spirit descends, and says, this is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Now this is an incredible moment, because for the past 30 years, Jesus has been in obscurity. Jesus hasn't done anything. There's no miracles, there's no teachings. What does the Father do? The Father affirms Jesus' identity before he does anything. The same way that he looks at you and he says, you're my beloved. Not because of what you do, simply because of who you are. Yes. Now that's true. And that's, that's part of the text. That's the beautiful part of the story, right? This father and son, this beloved, before you do anything, that's incredible. But it's not really what's going on. That's just what's on the surface. And that's true, and that's what you and I see, but when the heavens open up, when there is an inbreaking of God's voice, again for the first time in a really long time, that's not just a moment between a father and a son. It's a moment where God is declaring, my kingdom is back and is now. It's a moment where if we could see with supernatural eyes, we would see the demon shudder, we would see Satan shake, because he realizes my kingdom and my time is done, and there's a new king here. Now, how do we know this? Because the moment he gets baptized, what does he do? He walks right into the desert. He doesn't go do miracles. He doesn't go do teaching. He walks into the desert to do what? To battle with Satan. To battle that your kingdom, your reign is over. It's done. And the kingdom of God is here. So when he goes to these synagogues, when he's teaching on the mountainside, yes, he's declaring new truth that leads to a deeper change, but he's also proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand, that something new and something different is happening. So what is it? Right? Been around the church for a while, you hear certain phrases. Some of us are like, I don't even ask, what is that? The kingdom of God, this ooh, kingdom of God. That just sounds good. That sounds really deep. Um, in the kingdom of God. So what actually is this kingdom that Jesus proclaims? And you know, the best way I think to define the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God is the effectual reign and rule of God. What is the kingdom of God? It's where what God wants done 
is done. And so when Jesus steps into the scene, when he gets baptized, the Father opens up heaven, and the kingdom of God is brought in, what is really happening is that the reign and effectual rule of Satan is going to diminish. And the reign and effectual rule of God is going to grow stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger day by day by day. So what is the kingdom of God? It is seeing God's will in my life. It is seeing the effectual reign, the power, and the kingship of God applied to my everyday surroundings. And so what we find in today is that the kingdom of God is advancing, and it's advancing against two kingdoms. The first kingdom it's advancing against is the kingdom of Satan, the world. But here's the second one, I don't want to miss this. It's the kingdom of your own heart. And we get that first one, but it's that second one that I think we often miss. It's the second one of saying, man, I want God, I want your effectual reign, I want your effectual will in my life. That I want to surrender my will because I know your plan is better. So, so much better. It may not be the path I want it to be. Come on. But if I'm willing to walk that, the plan and purpose you have for me is better than anything I could ever imagine. And so as the kingdom of God advances, we don't want to get so caught up that it's just about pushing against the kingdom of Satan. Well, that is true. But also, God is wanting to see more of his kingdom alive and vibrant in your heart and in your life as well. Amen. So what is to exalt the fame of Jesus? Is to say, God, I welcome you, Holy Spirit. I welcome that work. I welcome you to do a deeper revelation and understanding of the kingdom of God in my heart. And then we're told something else. Uh, something new. Something I think that's a bit unexpected. Because they're used to teachers, right? We look throughout Old Testament history and there were always prophets. There were always voices, even in between the intertestamental period. There's always these voices and, and, and they're seeking new ways of living. And so Jesus does that, but then Jesus does something that pretty much none of the other ones can do. Now, Jesus is about to bring it to a whole different level and we're told in this text that the kingdom of God doesn't just proclaim kingdom of Satan is done, my kingdom is advancing, but it also comes with healing. What does it say? It says that Jesus went about Galilee and he is healing every disease. But notice he doesn't just say he's healing the simple ones. He doesn't just heal them by random. He's not just healing some. It says that Jesus is going to the Galilee and all the surrounding areas and he's healing every disease. Nothing is left off the list. Nothing is forgotten. But then I think it gets even better because it's interesting. It doesn't just say he's healing every diseases. And that would be enough there. It says he's healing every diseases and he's healing every affliction. That's interesting, because we're used to this idea of Jesus, we follow him around in the Gospels, right? And there's always these crazy healing stories. Some man is broken open to the ceiling, maybe that'll happen today, and they're brought down, right? Or, or he tells them to go put mud on their eyes. Like, we're used to those stories, but that's not just what the text says. It doesn't stop at diseases, it says it's also healing every affliction. And the reality for most of us, while there are physical ailments in this space, and that we do need Jesus to move, most of what we need are probably not physical healings. But most of us, we've got some afflictions. But there's some afflictions we're carrying. Maybe they're mental or emotional. That we are wrecked with anxiety. That all it takes is one bad text, and we're wrecked the whole day. 
That all it takes is for one thing to happen at work, and we don't know why we do that. We don't want to ruminate. We don't want to be that way. We bring it to God. We try to pray. We say, God, why am I so wrecked by anxiety and worry? And it's because we need the thing of Jesus. To step into that affliction and to bring a life that we couldn't do by our own willpower. For those of us, it's depression. That we're carrying away the depression that we just can't seem to shake no matter how good life is. I don't know how to get through this. In that moment, what I need is the fame of Jesus. For some of us, it's spiritual. That there's just a despair, or there's a, there's a hopelessness, or there's a weight, or, or there's just some, some generational cycles that we can't break on our own, and what we need is the fame of Jesus. Brothers, we've got some relational afflictions. There's some broken relationships in our life. Maybe it's a son, daughter, spouse, whoever else. But we've done everything we need to do. We can't figure it out on our own. What we need in that moment is the fame of Jesus. A fame that says he went into all the areas, nowhere left. He touched every disease and every affliction. And then we come again to verses 24 and verses 25. It says, So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, from Decropolis, from Jerusalem, and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Beyond the Jordan. That his fame continued to spread. That this obscure prophet from that no-name town called Nazareth. Fame continued to spread. What does it mean that it spread throughout all Judea and beyond? It meant that someday his fame would spread to a whole different continent. That someday his fame would cross oceans. That someday his fame would find itself in Bellevue, Florida. That the fame of Jesus, of this obscure first-century prophet, would become the most famous name of all time. The most famous name ever spoken. You know the name of Jesus, no name has been spoken like the name of Jesus. Amen. There's no name every single day that is spoken and declared more than the name of Jesus. No one is bigger, no one is stronger, and no one is more capable to heal whatever it is that you need him to step into. That what you need is the fame of Jesus. So I want to give three thoughts on how we can become more consumed more in love, and experience more of the fame of Jesus. And the, the first thought is this, it all begins with surrender. Amen. It all begins with surrender. About a year ago, I started kind of a new um, spiritual practice for myself, and uh, it's journaling, which if you don't journal, I recommend you give it a try. And every time, every morning in my journal, I will end in the same way, the same line every single morning. It's simply this, Jesus surrender everything and everyone to you. I surrender everything and everyone to you. Every morning, in the same way. Why? Because I want, I want to posture myself in a way that I've tried figuring this out most of my life on my own and have not been that successful. So I'm going to let go of that. I want to relinquish that and I want to surrender everything and everyone to you. 
that you really your posture, you're saying in that moment, it's your kingdom. In that moment, it's your plan. In that moment, it's your will. It's, it's me opening myself up to say, I want the Holy Spirit. And I want the Holy Spirit to flow in me and out of me, which means I've got to get out of the way. It's aligning with 1 Peter 5, where it says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And what's he going to do when you do that is that he's going to exalt you. Amen. Is that he's going to carry you through. So if I want the fame of Jesus, guess whose fame I've got to give up? My own. Guess whose pride I've got to let down? My own. And be willing to say, I don't want to hold on to my fame. I want to hold on to yours because you can't hold on to both. You've got to pick one and you've got to choose one. And I want to choose the fame of Jesus. So it all begins with surrender. Second thought is this, you will find the kingdom of God in prayer. You'll find the kingdom of God in prayer. Experiencing more of the kingdom of God is not just something for pastors. It's not just something for, well, there just seems to be some of those individuals who just have more enlightened or whatever else, and, and those are the ones that experience the kingdom of God. That's not true. More and more of the kingdom of God in your life is meant for you. It's meant for me, but it's found in the gritty griminess of prayer. It's found in a space where I'm willing to commit to those moments where I'm praying, and it seems like there's no one out there. Where I'm praying, and it feels foolish. Where I'm praying, and it feels like a waste of time. I should be doing things that are more productive. But it's in those very moments that here's what God is really doing. He's refining you. Because whether you realize it or not, you want to know what God's looking for. He's not looking for doers. He's looking for hearers. But the only way you're going to catch that voice is that I've committed to the stillness and the quietness and the consistency of prayer. That I was on my knees, that I was in my space, going, God, I'm going to seek your face, I'm going to hear you, I'm going to find you, I'm going to pursue you, and I'm going to beg that you would work on my behalf, because what I need is not more of my fame, I want to surrender that, I want to let go of the willpower, but what I need is more of the fame of Jesus. If I'm going to get that fame of Jesus, it's only going to come by me being in a posture and a place that I can actually hear it. I don't know about you, but I'm not very good at hearing it by myself. I'm naturally pretty prideful, pretty arrogant. I can figure it out on my own. And again, willpower can get you so far. But when you're in that valley, when you've tried everything, and you just can't get out, it's not going to work. But here's what will. Exalting the fame of Jesus. Amen. And the last idea is this. What you dwell on, you become. What you dwell on, you become. Uh, Craig Rochelle puts it like this. He says, you're always going in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And so if you dwell on the fame of Jesus, you're going to experience the fame of Jesus in your life. So if I want this, if I find myself that I'm in a valley, and I've done everything I know to do, and I can't get out, and I can't figure this out, and I'm not sure how to shake this, then I'm going to come forward and go, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to search for the kingdom of God in prayer, and I'm going to dwell on the fame of Jesus. Because when you're in that space and you've tried everything you know to do, and nothing seems to work, there is one thing that will always work. And it is the fame of Jesus that didn't just stop in the first century teaching and spreading the kingdom of God and healing every disease and every affliction, but it still does that 
now. And that his power is available for you. So when you're in that valley, you feel stuck, you feel alone, you're not. The name of Jesus is available and waiting for you. Amen. Amen. We join us pray. On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.